Welcome to Gays with Kids, a show about creating families together. I'm Britt Smith. Before we get started, make sure you're following us on social media at gays underscore with underscore kids, and make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening right now. One of the most common ways gay, bi, and trans men become dads is through former straight relationships turned co-parenting situations. This episode, we're going to hear an inspirational story of resilience from Nigel Sellens, a gay dad in Australia who came out after he and his ex-wife had had six kids, the youngest of whom is a special needs child. As Nigel explains, coming out when you're already a dad is no easy feat, but for him, having his children during that difficult time was actually his saving grace. Hello, my name is Nigel Sellens, and I am the Head of Compliance for a Property Law and Conveyancing for a company here in Australia, and I'm a gay dad, and I have six children. We'll have more of Nigel's story after this quick break. The Mosey Baby Kit for at-home insemination includes everything gay parents-to-be need to get started on their at-home insemination journey. Mosey Baby is clinically proven to be as effective as both IUI and timed intercourse for conception, making Mosey Baby your first stop when you want to start a family and need a little help. Compatible with both fresh and frozen sperm, each Mosey Baby kit includes two patented insemination syringes, a collection cup, and easy-to-follow instructions to ensure you make the most of each try. Mosey Baby has helped thousands of LGBTQ plus couples and singles form their families without the major expenses of other surrogacy options. You can find out more at moseybaby.com and find them on social media at moseybaby. That's M-O-S-I-E-B-A-B-Y. Now, I've got a few picky eaters in my life, and I'm happy to say that I have finally found a baby and kid food company that is healthy, tasty, easy to make, and super affordable. Little Spoon makes fresh, non-GMO and organic baby, toddler, and kid food using absolutely nothing artificial. It's like it's all homemade, all delivered to your door in a cooler box, so you can just pop the meals in the fridge or the freezer and heat them up whenever your little ones are ready to eat. All of Little Spoon's recipes taste absolutely delicious and they're nutritionally balanced and free of junk. Eight-month-old Logan absolutely loved Little Spoon's baby food blend, especially the guava and the butternut squash. And six-year-old Lucy, who basically only eats chicken nuggets, actually asked for more of Little Spoon's quinoa and black beans and she loved the breakfast sausages with mini pancakes. With kids meals under $5 and baby food and smoothie snacks under $3, trying Little Spoon is easy and Gays With Kids listeners can get 50% off their first order. Head on over to littlespoon.com and use the code GWK50, that's littlespoon.com, and use the code GWK50 at checkout. I was originally um, married to a woman, it was year 2000. The children just came, obviously, as they come naturally um, over time. And the the numbers kind of grew to a, a place not, neither of us expected. We did not expect to have that many children. Um, but, you know, we wouldn't want it any other way. I certainly wouldn't want it any other way. So I want to start with your childhood. Can you tell me, like, where you grew up, what, what your town was like, what your family was like, and, and what the culture was like there for... <laughs> gay people. <laughs> okay, so I grew up on a farm um, in the Hunter Valley 
of New South Wales in Australia, um, there was no town. It was a house in the hills, basically. Um, and you couldn't see another house from my house unless you climbed the top of the mountain. Um, so it was very much just my brother and my sister and myself. I'm the middle of the three of us. And the farm was a family farm, so it was my grandparents before me. You know, we'd do stuff on the farm. We'd had orchards, we had, you know, vegetable patches, we had chickens, we had cows. Um, I guess it was very, very sheltered, very, very sheltered life. What about school? My first school only had 12 students in total. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a very small school. So I think wow. I might have been, there might have been two kids in my year, another boy and myself. The whole school, um, kindergarten to year six, was all in the one room. And the one teacher taught us all at the same time. Gosh. That, <laughs> very, very, very small, very small very country. Very small town. <laughs> very small town. Life. So, yeah, so that school, I was there for two years. And then the government started closing all those little tiny schools around the country and pushed it all, pushed us all into bigger ones. Uh, we joined with another school, but that still only had about 60 students. Wow. All in a very in a small country town, which is where my family now live. Um, and that was, you know, late 80s. Um, I went to high school, 87. Um, and I guess that's probably when, that's probably when things started to go a bit crazy for me in terms of, you know, understanding who I was and things like that. Um, mm. <laughs> I can't say it was fun. I can't say that I enjoyed my high school years. Um, I was a target, um, I guess, because I was, you know, this is a very country town, a very country high school, very, you know, um, sporty, very rural, very, you know, that sort of orientation. And when you go in as a person that's, um, I guess, creative and, you know, musical and pride in your appearance and all those sorts of things, you, you become an easy target. I mean, I used to be called pretty boy. I used to be called all those, you know, you name it. I was picked on, I was teased, I was bullied. And, and in those days, you were just told to harden up. Like there was no, the teachers didn't really care. So you just, I guess you just did what you did to survive. And so how did you and your, your ex-wife first meet? Um, yes, yeah, so my ex-wife was going, she was um, the girlfriend of a family friend. Um, my parents and his parents were quite close friends um, for many, many years, long before we were, any of us were ever born. So we were often together quite, you know, socially um, before we were together. And I guess we just kind of struck up a really good friendship and often at those, you know, Saturday night dinners or um, we just got really close and became friends, really good friends. And it just kind of started from there. And then we got married in the year 2000. And, you know, I kind of thought that, okay, this is good. This is a good thing. I don't have to worry about any of that other stuff anymore. Um, I'm set for life. You had thoughts before your marriage oh, that you were yes. going? Yes, I did. Do well, you remember the first time you sort of considered those thoughts? It would have been in high school. It would have actually been in high school, but because, you know, I used to be called, you know, really awful things, um, you know, like poof, like all that fag, all that sort of stuff in high school, bullied, you know, beaten, had my stuff taken, thrown away, you know, all that sort of stuff. You kind of, I just developed a defence mechanism to 
um, I guess, put that away. And mm. the only way I it like got to a point in the end of, you know, my final year at high school, I kind of said to myself, well, if the only way for you to not to be beaten up, to not to be bullied, to not to be, um, you know, a target is to be straight, then we will just be straight. That's fine. We can deal with that. So when you first became a dad, what was that like for you? What was the experience uh -huh. of being a father? Um, oh, look, I think, I think I was definitely born to be a dad. Um, that's absolutely without, I have no doubts whatsoever that that was, you know, why I was put here. Um, other than many other things, but, you know, to be a dad and to have six kids, but it, there is no other feeling like it, like having children and like having people that, that, you know, respect you and just look up to you like you're there, everything. And um, to be able to give everything to somebody else, um, you know, to a child and, you know, watch them grow and teach them things and, you know, pass on experiences and things you've learned and um, things that brought you joy as a kid to give back to them and see if they, if it means the same to them. That's, mm. that's what it's all about. Yeah. So when was your first child born? My first child, Madeline. So she was born in 2005 and she's now um, 17 and is driving as of two months ago, which is a bit scary. So. Wow. <laughs> So after Madeline was born, tell us the order and, and the, uh, the, the years, I suppose. Okay, so, so Madeline was um, 2005. Then we had Noah in 2006. Uh, Noah's my redhead. <laughs> we have one redhead and five other blondes. So, yes. So then in 2008, uh, we had Ruby. She was closely followed in 2009 by Penelope. <laughs> They all say Penelope's my favourite. All the other kids say that. It's not true. <laughs> I don't have favourites, but everyone says Penny's my favourite. So then at that point, we actually, you know, were sat down by the obstetrician and um, they said to my ex-wife, look, you can't have any more children. Um, she had, at that point, had an, quite a number of caesareans. All the children were born by caesarean for different medical reasons whether it had been an emergency or any other reason and she'd also um, had an ovary removed um, before we had children um, so she only had one ovary and we had the four children and the doctor basically said look you can't have any more there is so much scar tissue that is it and we were like cool that's fine <laughs> so you got four um, we, we've got four kids um, and then in 2013 um, so we're talking five years later, um, we fell pregnant with Harriet. That was quite a shock because we didn't think that was even possible. I mean, that put a little bit of an unexpected thing in, in, the, in life's plans because, mm. you know, we were just building a house that we designed to have X number of rooms for, and in the middle of that build, there was another child came along, mm. which we didn't expect. So... That was interesting. Um, so after that, further medical intervention was undertaken and my ex's tubes were completely removed from her remaining ovary. Um, so all she was left with was one ovary and a uterus with nothing connecting the two. Then <laughs> my, 
by some miracle that we do not know and doctors have not yet been able to explain, um, we had Sam in 2016. Wow. Sam was meant to be in the world. Sam, yeah, Samuel was meant to be. Um, we were actually, at the time, I was doing work for um, the Irish singer Enya. Heard of Enya? Oh, yes. yeah, I know Enya. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was Enya's global moderator for about 12, 15 years on the internet. And we, she was just launching, about to launch a new album in 2015. And she had invited myself and my ex and all the children to go to New York um, for the launch of that album. And we took my mother along as <laughs> babysitting support. And <laughs> literally two days before we got on a plane, um, my ex said, I haven't had my period. Wouldn't it be funny if I was pregnant? And I was like, well, actually, no, it wouldn't. We're about to get on a plane. She went in. We booked an emergency appointment with the obstetrician. She went in and there was a heartbeat. How did that feel? That shock. I mean, at the, at the time we were like dealing with, you know, planning to take five children, you know, under the age of 12 on a plane with my mother and, you know, found out we were pregnant with a child that was just impossible to have, that we, is just was medically impossible to have thinking what happens if something happens in we're in the US um, medically if there's a problem goes wrong what do we do like it's just was just a, an absolute bit of a nightmare but we kind of just took it in our stride and um, off we went so Anya was practically the very first person in the world that knew we were pregnant so. <laughs> that's kind of cool <laughs> So Sam was born in, you said, 2016? Sam was born in 2016. 2016. Yes, so. so I want to talk about your experience of coming out. What yeah. year did you come out and how long was the build-up to that point? Um, look, I think the build-up was very, very long, like was really very long. I think the what I think what triggered, I guess, the return of those feelings and those um, emotions and, you know, questions was the introduction of the internet. You know, I went from a period of life before internet and then internet appeared. Mm. And then, you know, particularly in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, access to things became much easier, you know. Um, and I was confronted by a lot more, you know, I guess gay imagery, gay, you know, characters in shows, movies, books, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, those questions did start to arise. Um, but again, I just kind of always felt that that was just not possible. It was absolutely not possible. You know, number one, I had, I'd been got married and I've now had all these children. So it was just completely out of the question. So I did put it behind me. Absolutely. And then I th look, it kind of reached culmination 2017 um when I did meet uh, a guy and we became very very close friends and then that was just like you know I was seeing things for the very first time ever and it just felt really comfortable it it was just very it was very easy to be in his company and to I guess just be myself 
and he probably encouraged that in me a lot and like he was fully aware of my situation like we knew that was that it was there was an impossible situation because of who I was and what I was dealing with um but you know we just we stuck together we became friends and that kind of ultimately led to me having more confidence in myself um confidence in who I was and you know being a bit more stronger and assertive um, in my character and standing up to people, and that uh, that did that was what started to cause tension in the home. Mm. Um, I guess having another personality just su- suddenly appear, a personality that was always much happier to be in the background, um, much happier to um, let my ex-wife lead the way because if. I let her be in control and, you know, people wouldn't look at me. Mm. Um, if, you know, I let her, like, run run the household and all those sorts of things and I just in the background, then nobody would pay any attention or look too close to see what was really there or who was really there, um, probably more so. So I guess I started to get stronger and confident in myself and started to want to be seen and want to be noticed and want to do things and um, that created a lot of fr- friction. Do you remember the first time that you really thought to yourself that it might be a possibility that you could tell her? Um, that kind of came about in pretty unfortunate circumstances. Um, we, we actually had quite a quite an intense fight when she had basically said to me, look, I need you to stop this. Whatever is going on, this has to stop. And you need to go back to where you were. No more of this. And it, it got quite heated, quite quite serious. Um, it did get quite, quite violent. Um, and I guess that was a realisation for me that there was no going back. There was no, you can't hide it. Like, sure, I could go back and keep pretending, but is that just going to put it away for another year or another five years? Or, And it's still just going to keep coming back. So I think ultimately the fight that we had, I would, that was like, I've had enough. That was like, I was completely exhausted. I was completely, I just cannot do this anymore. Mm. So the morning after, I I told her. And what happened? I guess she was in shock. She was angry. She was upset. All of these things are completely understandable. Like, I absolutely get that. Mm. And then it was, I guess, a bit of a roller coaster. You know, she was, you know, one minute she was supportive and like, it's fine. You know, we can do this. We can, you know, it's fine. We'll get through this, whatever. The next it would be really awful stuff. Like, you know really terrible language and stuff like that and screaming and abuse and so it just was like a roller coaster up and down up and down in the meantime while you were coming out and going through this very difficult and tumultuous time you still were a dad and had six kids to take care of yes I still had to and um I was also you know the sole worker in the house too so I was supporting the house so I had to keep going to work I had to keep doing what I was doing to um, make the world go round, you know, support the kids and get them to wherever they needed to be. And, you know, in terms of 
providing finances and things like that and support. And in the meantime, this was going on in the background and, you know, you do try to shield them as much as you can, but I, you know, I'm not going to be so foolish to think that they weren't exposed to things that, you know, are regrettable because they probably were. And um, I guess you just have to love them and try and show them that yes, these things do happen, but it doesn't change how, you know, either of us felt about them or anything like that. And we kind of just keep going. We'll be back with more with Nigel after the break. Growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid, but I had to give it up because I realized it was full of sugar and junk that I just really shouldn't be eating. Luckily, the folks at Magic Spoon have figured out how to make a truly tasty, healthier cereal. Magic Spoon cereals come in variety packs of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. They have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. And it's only 140 calories a serving. It's also keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. Magic Spoon also has some great flavors, and you can mix and match them like cocoa and peanut butter, which tastes just like a peanut butter cup. Head on over to magicspoon.com slash GWK to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code GWK at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it is back with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash GWK and use the code GWK to save $5 off. I want to talk a little bit about how your life has been after you came out, after that very difficult day and the days following it. Um, I would look, imagine. <laughs> I guess I, that was never the plan to come out then. It kind of, something else took control of me and just forced that out of me. I, that was not my intention. It certainly wasn't, you know, I wasn't following the, like a 10-step plan that led to me coming out. Um, I wasn't prepared for that. And whatever it was that took control of me and, you know, the strength that, that came out, I don't know where that came from. I really don't. Um, it was very difficult because I guess she was angry. She was upset. She was angry. She's upset, you know, and that's fine. Like I get how what I did um, and who I was probably shattered her world. Um, I fully understand that. And there are, uh, there are things that happened then on both sides that I'm sure we both regret um, in terms of how that was dealt with. She actually told my mother and I wasn't aware. She told other people in our lives and I didn't know that they, they, they knew I had come out. Um, so I felt kind of a bit robbed in that sense. Like I actually probably still feel in a way that I've never come out because I never got to own that. Mm. Um, it kind of was taken from me, I guess, through emotions you know that she was feeling the hurt way she had to process the situation she felt the need to reach out to people and in doing so out of me that particular year was this was all around christmas time so i was you know sitting at christmas lunch not knowing that my mother knew i was gay have you ever said it to her do you want to say it to her 
I actually don't think I've ever said the words I am gay to many people, probably perhaps any people. Do you remember the first time you said it without having to be like, this is me coming out to this person? Just as, as an identity uh, thing? Not really. Um, I remember I said it once to a friend at work um, after this had happened, like a close friend, and she was extremely supportive. And But I kind of still feel funny even saying that. Like I kind of, it gives me you know, the butterflies and the weirdness to actually, to actually say that out loud. Mm. Um, and, and I think perhaps it is because I never got to, the narrative was never mine when it happened. So mm. I never got to control, not necessarily control the narrative, but, you know, to let it play out in an organic way. It was like, bam, you're out. Yeah. Now deal with the consequences. What were the following months and years like for you as you sort of figured out the next chapter of your life? Um, no. <laughs> Not fun. So I um, basically I moved into the garage at home, um, and again, you know, you try to do things, you know, to protect the children. So it was like, you know, they would go to bed and I would go out to the garage, and I would return in the morning before they woke, and things like that. So, wow. um, you know, I sleep little sleeping on the floor. <laughs> Um, it was very, yeah, very primitive, so to speak. Um, but, you know, because, I mean, she was angry. It was just how she dealt with the situation. I was, like, kind of too broken to deal with anything else. So I just kind of went with it. And ultimately, I left the home and I moved into this building that I'm in now, um, rented an apartment, and I... For 12 months, I slept on the floor and, you know, I had a TV and my piano um, and my clothes. And that was about it for about a year. Yeah, I guess things have changed. Um, if, there's, if there's anything I'm, I have in abundance is resilience. And it <laughs> doesn't matter how many times people will knock me down, I will always get back up and I will always fight harder. And I guess you, you ha I had to be resilient too because I had to, I had to keep going. I couldn't give up. Like I couldn't stop because I had six people, little people that needed me to keep going. So there was no, you know, as dark as it was, and it was dark, you know, I remember sitting in the dark for some nights for just hours and hours in the corner. But there was a sunshine and a light that just kept going and, and that was them. And that was the six kids. You know, if I didn't have them, I don't know if I would still be here. Like, and that is, that is hand on heart truth. Do you remember the first time you were solo parenting the six of them all together? Did they like spend a night with you? Yeah. Um, so I do remember they came, they came here to this building. I, I wasn't in this apartment. I was upstairs and because I had no beds, I had nothing. Um, so I'd got, I'd like borrowed air mattresses and things like that for the kids. And I, you know, I just tried to make it into like a camping experience. Mm -hmm. um, so we all just slept in the lounge room together and we had fun. We, you know, watched TV, we had fun food and stuff like that. Like I just tried to 
I guess make it like it make it fun and not make it you know like his dad with nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> um so yeah I'm creative so I try to turn every experience into um you know something positive what's it like now that the two of you are co-parenting and it's been five or six years yeah. since yeah, five years. We, I guess we are in a much better place now. As I said, I think things happened on both sides back then that we both regret and we wish didn't happen. And the way that played out, um, I had long-term financial consequences for me because I've literally started from nothing, um, like nothing. And I guess there is a bit of peace there. Like there are things, you know, there are things I will never forget. There are things that I will perhaps forgive over time. Um, but I think in having, you know, two years of lockdowns and things like that, I kind of decided that they don't matter really anymore. Mm. And at the end of the day, when you're locked in your apartment for nearly two years with, you know, COVID and all that nonsense going on, none of that really matters at the end of the day. Things are much easier, certainly much easier now. There's more of a dialogue between us and but you know the kids are the kids and they're a lot of fun (laughs) you know now I'm looking at buying this apartment I'm in five years after having nothing so things do change and it is absolutely you are in the depths of despair and you are sitting in what feels like a black hole but if you just keep getting up and you just keep turning the light on looking for the light opening the curtains the light will come in and you'll get there and if you do have kids, then, then that's like a golden ticket mm-hmm. to getting back because, you know, they, they uplift you, they support you, they, you know, they sense all these things, even though they may not say them, you know, they, they lift you up and they keep you going. So I'm like, I'm very lucky, very lucky. I want to ask specifically about your youngest, Sam, what's it been like yes. Uh, he's a special needs child. What what has it been like to be a single father yeah. with him? Um, so little Sammy has a condition called trisomy 10p. So he was born with an extra number 10 chromosome, um, which we suspect may have come about because of the impossibility of his conception and the pregnancy. Um, so... Yeah, so Sam, <laughs> Sam is very cute. He's very adorable. Um, he's a little blonde mini me, like he's the image of me as a child. Um, he is, for all intents and purposes, a normal boy in how he behaves and moves and laughs and carries on and be silly and all those things, but he can't talk. So... Um, I guess that has been that has been difficult. It has been challenging um, to have had five really, you know, beautiful, healthy children, and to be blessed with a second boy um, who is just absolutely gorgeous, absolutely beautiful, but you he can't speak to you. Um, Sam is now six, and he he verbalizes, but they're not words. Mm. So he can come and have a conversation with you. And there's all these verbal sounds and things coming out of his mouth. You do, you cannot understand it, but I guess you, you just go along with it. 
So you tried to have a conversation with him. So he feels like, I guess, he's talking to you. Um, but he can understand you. So you could ask him, you know, to go get, go get his shoes or, you know, it's time to have a bath or, and he knows exactly what you're saying to him. He, he can understand you fully. Um, he just can't communicate back. Yeah. So that's really, it's, it's been very difficult, but it's at the same time, it's really, um, it, it has been rewarding in a way to find ways to communicate with him and for him to communicate backwards. Um, you know, like he'll just come up to you and he might just randomly kiss you on the arm or on the side of the leg or, <laughs> um, and, you know, he's starting to do a little bit of signing, um, which is really good. So hopefully with some more skills there, um, you know, there may be a way to communicate him with him one day. Yeah. Well, I think that your story gives a lot of hope to a lot of folks out there who may be facing something similar to what you went through all those years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's, yeah. As, as I, I think I said to you in the, the original um, <laughs> meeting we had over 12 months ago, it's, in, it's impossible and it feels impossible, but you just have to pick up what you have left around you and move on. You know, the friends I have now are not the friends I had six years ago. You will create a new family and you will have your family. A lot of my family I don't have anymore. Um, you know, I'm very lucky to have um, my mother still. My, my dad passed when I was young. My sister and my brother and their spouses and kids. And pretty much other than that, it's just my friends. And they're all new friends. They're friends I didn't, they're people I didn't know five years ago who came out of nowhere and were there for me. Like for a person they didn't know, they'd never met. And, you know, they're, they're like my children. They are my everything, like those friends now. Isn't that the great thing about the queer community? Yeah. And look, I think you can, all you need is one very good friend and, and he knows who he is. And he, um, I'm really lucky to have a friend like that and to have him there every single day, to talk to him every single day, um, fight with him every single day and have fun. Um, but you know, you find new people. I think that's that's the message. You find new people. And um, people do come into your life for a reason. Um, that is very true. I'm very proud of friends that I have now. Um, I know they are loyal because, you know, they've seen me at my worst, absolute worst, and they're still here. Mm. One last question before I let you go. Are you into dating are you thinking about dating what's dating like as a single gay dad <sighs> dating is impossible uh, dating is impossible particularly you know it's kind of okay when someone tells you they have a child or they have two <laughs> when you try to tell somebody you have six it's that's a whole different ball game um look i have been i have certainly been dating um for you know on and off but never with any, I guess, hope or expectation that it's anything more than that. Um, because six kids is a lot. And I think it's, it's a lot to, I think it's, it's scarier than it really is because I think some guys kind of think, oh my God, I'm about to be handed six kids when that's not actually the case. Yeah. Uh, in my, you know, I'm not here to give you my kids. They're my kids, you know, <laughs> it's your own. <laughs> um, I'm not looking to, you know, 
share the burden or, you know, that's that's my responsibility. And that will always be my, my responsibility. I'm looking for somebody for me. Mm. Um, but I have been surprised at some guys who I think would be less inclined, um, seem to be those who don't mind or kind of, you know, yeah, that's cool, whatever. You've got a life. You've had a life. That's yeah. understandable. But, look, I, I did... I did meet someone very recently um, who does have kids and is gay. And I think that was kind of the first time I kind of thought maybe this is possible. Yeah, we'll watch that space. But, um, you know, I'm not sure what will happen there. Um, but he's really, he's really nice. He's really cool. He's got two kids of his own. Um, so two and six is eight, which is a nightmare. But, <laughs> but, and, but look, you know, it's, we're both, I guess, still in very different circles. Um, so it's, you know, we're friends and we will see. But, you know, who knows, maybe one day. All right, I'm going to check back up on that because that would be a cool gay dad family brood to check in on. Eight kids. Oh, my gosh. Well, Nigel, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, you're absolutely very welcome. Thank you.